This morning we're going to look at uh, what I've entitled as an important conversation. An important conversation. That's, that's all I could come up with. It just, it's important, though. It's, this is a conversation that, um, that we often use when we talk to people about Christ. Um, it's an important conversation, especially for those, I think, that are uh, religious. Uh, anybody who's grown up in a church environment, I think this is a, a very valuable conversation to spend time in. Um, and, and as we look at this, we're going to see several several things and a theme that I think uh, I want to bring out pretty quickly here early on um, that we'll see actually as we go through the book of John kind of repeat itself over and over and over again in the people that Christ comes in contact with. <clears throat> but here we have uh, the first instance of Christ dealing with somebody one-on-one. Um, we've seen him with the disciples. We've seen him um, with people at the wedding. We've seen him uh, dealing with people at the temple. And here we have kind of our first one-on-one conversation that Christ has. We're going to see another one coming up in John chapter 4, where he has a one-on-one conversation with an individual. Um, but this morning, we're going to focus on this conversation with a very prominent Jew. Um, anybody know his name? Nicodemus, right? Yeah. Again, you know, I want to be careful as we go through this that, um, that we don't just tune out, right? Because we've, we know this story. In fact, one of, one of the key uh, passages of this, uh, key verses of this passage um, we could all stand up and close our eyes and speak it without even thinking. In fact, people who are not Christians, people who did not have nothing, no connection with church or with God can probably quote John chapter 3, verse 16, or at least give you the basic idea of it because they've heard it before. Uh, it's a very popular verse. So I want to be very careful as we go through this, this this morning that we don't tune out what's going on, Right? Don't take, don't just sit there and be like, oh yeah, 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 Jesus talked to Nicodemus, you know, that cowardly guy who came to him at night and, you know, don't just tune it out, okay? Let's look at it and see what's going on in this passage, all right? And we're going to step through, I do have alliteration again, all right? So I've got four eyes for you this morning. <laughs> I don't, I honestly don't intend to do that. It just kind of happens. I don't know if it's, you know, practice from seminary when they made us do it. I don't know. It just kind of happens <laughs> as I go through. Um, so, you know, maybe it's the Holy Spirit. I don't know. If it, if it helps you, if it helps you retain it, great. If not, don't worry about it. All right. <laughs> so I want to take a look at this important conversation this morning found in John chapter three. We're actually going to take a few verses back. Let's go back in John chapter two, because I want to get the context of what's going on here, because I think the context is important as to why this meeting took place the way that it did. And I think if you, if you take this in context, it might change your perspective a little bit about um, how this went down. So let's look back in John chapter 20, I'm sorry, John chapter 2, verses 20, verse 23. John chapter 2, verse 23. It says, Now when he, was at, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them. Because he knew all the people, and he needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, 
Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So is it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him might have, may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. Light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his, wor lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may clearly may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Let's open it with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this conversation that Christ had with Nicodemus. And Lord, I pray that as we look at this morning, that you would open our eyes to see things anew, that you would open our eyes to see uh, past the, the things that we, we know about this passage, the familiarity that we have with this passage. And I pray that you would just help us to glean from it your truth so that we may walk in a way that is in the light, that our deeds would be judged as those that would be from you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so, John chapter 2 ends with Jesus doing miracles. And he's at the Passover, it says that he was doing miracles. People started believing, right? Um, people were believing in him. Why? Raise your hand. No, I'm just kidding. Why? Because of the works that he did, all right? Those who have been in the, the fourth, fifth, and sixth grade class prior to us, you know, coming into the adults, you know, you have to speak up because you've been through this, all right? You've got, you've got this amazing insight that we've gone through. I'll, I'll be honest with you, just a side note. Those kids know what they're doing, all right? They're not dumb. If you take time and go through the Word of God with them, they get it. They can understand the Word of God, and they can understand some things that a lot of adults don't get. It just takes a little prodding, all right, to get them to talk. <laughs> but, uh, but I've been, I, was, I was really happy as we went through. We got through about chapter 8 um, in our class, and, uh, and they catch things. 
they, they, they catch the, the things that we're going to talk about today as well. So um, pay attention, because if the fourth, fifth, and sixth graders can get it, you can get it too, right? All right, so we've got Jesus doing miracles, right? And people are believing on him because he's doing these miracles. And, and it's interesting what it says at the end of that passage, right? It says that Jesus did not entrust himself to them. Why? And Eric touched on this at the end of his message last week and this morning. Okay? So he has the answer. Yes. Right. He, he knew the inner heart of man, right? He knew that they didn't believe on him for the right reasons, right? He knew that they were, they were coming to him, they were flocking to him to see the next great thing, right? They wanted to see what was going to happen next. They wanted to see who was going to heal next. They wanted to see, you know, who was going to, um, Whose, whose arm was going to be healed, whose leg was going to be healed, whose eye, eyes were going to be opened from being blind, right? They, they wanted to see something amazing. And so they came to him, and they, and, and they crowded to him, and they believed in him as much as they could, <laughs> given what they were focused on. And it's interesting, right after that, then we have this um, discussion, this conversation with Nicodemus and Jesus, and, you know, I've always read this, this passage kind of on its own, right? Don't we tend to do that? You know, thank you to those who gave us chapters. <laughs> um, that's not the way it was written. John didn't put chapters and verses in his, in his works, right? And so whoever came up with the chapters and verses that have stuck around for all these years, um, they, they did the best that they could. But I think it's interesting that we tend to kind of just stay within those bounds, right? Even as we've split up the preaching Right? We, we've done that based on, a lot of times, the, the chapter numbers, right? Um, and even the, the segments that we kind of are given. And so we have to be careful not to ignore what's going on in, in the context of the passage that we're talking about. And I, I just find it interesting that here we have uh, Jesus who's doing these miracles, and he, he, he's not entrusting himself. I, I get the idea that he's not really getting deeper He's not having those one-on-one conversations. He's not taking extra time with people because he understands that they're not there for the reasons that he wants them to be there. They're only there because they want to see the next big thing. And so that's, you know, I I look at John chapter 3, and a lot of times we look at the fact that Nicodemus came to Christ at night, you know, and we we take into account who Nicodemus was, right? We know that he was a prominent uh, Pharisee. He was a prominent Jewish leader. <clears throat> Christ at one point called him what? The teacher of Israel, right? So he, he had some clout, all right? And so I think a lot of times we, we have this assumption that uh, Nicodemus came to Jesus at night because he was scared, right? Because he didn't want anybody to know that he was meeting with Jesus. I'm not saying that is wrong, but I think if you look at the context before that, it makes it a little bit different, Right? Think about what Jesus is doing. He's doing miracles. He's preaching. He's teaching throughout the day, right? And he's not giving time to people. He's not, he's not entrusting himself to people until we come to this man named Nicodemus. And maybe it's just that the evening worked best. I don't know. It could be that that was the best time for Jesus to meet one-on-one with Nicodemus. Now, maybe there was some aspect of Nicodemus not wanting everybody to know 
that he was meeting with Christ. But, you know, do you look at the way that he comes to him? What does he call him? Rabbi, right? He calls him teacher, right? There's an understanding that, that he has, and he, he even says, we know, right? He's talking about all of the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all of the E's in the Jewish community, right? He, he's talking about all of them. He's like, we know that you are a teacher that's come from God, right? He said, he's confessing the fact that they understand that he's not just some lunatic, Right, So I, I, when I look at what he says to Christ, and when I look at the context, I can't help but think that this was just the best time. <laughs> now again, maybe, maybe Nicodemus was scared, I don't know. But, uh, but for him to be a prominent Jewish leader, to go talk to someone, I don't know that that would necessarily look bad on him, to be perfectly honest with you. I mean, as, for, as far as anybody else would know, he's just going to meet with this teacher, this rabbi. Um, so I think we need to be careful to make assumptions when we read Scripture, right? We need to be careful and, and look at the context of what's going on. So here, regardless of why it was at night, we have this important conversation between Jesus Christ and Nicodemus. And so I want to dig into this conversation uh, this morning and take a look at four things that I see, kind of four overarching topics in John chapter 3. And we're going we're gonna to move through it hopefully fairly quickly. Um, there's a lot in this passage that could be unpacked, to be perfectly honest with you. We could probably spend a couple or three weeks just on what we've read this morning. Um, and so we're going to be a little bit probably more broad in what we cover this morning. But I want to take, take a look first of all at what I call an improper focus. An improper focus. Let's read John chapter 3, verses... Get back to my notes here. Verses 1 through 8. Okay? John chapter 3, verses 1 1 through 8. Now remember again the context of what's going on. Right? Nicodemus is coming to Jesus. And this is, from what we can tell, the first time that Jesus has taken time aside to talk to an individual. Okay? So he says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Okay, we'll stop there. (laughs) We'll stop there. What is Nicodemus saying? Just shout it out. It's okay. What did he say in your own words? Okay, he acknowledged Christ's authority, right? He said, we know you're from God, right? Why? Because of the miracles that he did. Now, is miracles the only thing that Jesus was doing? What else was he doing? Preaching and teaching, right? Yeah, he'd been teaching and preaching. And, but why were people coming? For the miracles, right? And if you look at the first phrase that Nicodemus says to Christ, what does he, what does he bring up? The miracles, right? And this is why I say we have an improper focus. And, and this improper focus, it's going to be, it's going to come out even more as we go through <clears throat> and look at this passage. But it starts right away with the way that he introduces the conversation to Christ. He says, we know that you're from God. Why? Not because of the things that you've been teaching. Not because your, your words have touched lives, but because of the miracles that you're doing. See, Nicodemus had an improper focus. Even, 
even like all the others. I mean, we talked about the, the end of chapter 2. Why wasn't Jesus entrusting himself to the people? Because they had an improper focus, right? They were focused on, really, themselves. <laughs> what can I experience? What can I get out of this, right? Can I be healed? Can I see something amazing and I can go back home and tell my family and my friends, hey, guess what I saw today, right? They weren't coming at this point to hear the teaching. They were coming to see the miracles. And even even Nicodemus, a prominent religious figure, came to Jesus and said, we know that you're from God because of the miracles. Not because of the teaching, but because of the miracles. And I think it's interesting that Christ immediately, immediately takes him off his game. He completely changes the subject. Did you ever notice that? I mean, because he's bringing up these miracles. He's saying, we know that you're from God, you know, and, and, and because because you're doing these amazing things. You're doing these great miracles. And what does Jesus say? You can read it. What does he say? Right. He said, he didn't say, well, thank you, Nicodemus. I'm glad you noticed. Right? No, what did he say? He says, truly, truly, unless a man is born again, he cannot what? Cannot see the kingdom of God. I think those words are very interesting. The kingdom of God. What were the Jews waiting for? The Messiah? What was the Messiah supposed to do? Set up what? New kingdom, right? Here again, we have an improper focus. See, the Jews were looking for an earthly kingdom. They were looking for an earthly victor, someone who would come, who would throw off the oppression of the Romans, who would set up, who would reestablish the kingdom of David. And, and so their focus was on this earthly kingdom. And I just find it really interesting that, that Christ points him to a different kingdom immediately. He says, look, if you want to be a part of the kingdom of God, you've got to be born again. And I'm sure Nicodemus is sitting here thinking, yeah, obviously I want to be a part of the kingdom of God. I mean, that's that's who we serve. That's who we follow. He's going to be in charge, you know, through the Messiah who's going to rule. You know, it's God's kingdom, right? We want to be a part of that. And it's all earthly. It's all fleshly. And he says, and Jesus says, if you want to be a part of the kingdom of God, you've got to be Born again. Now, Nicodemus, in the way that he's thinking, asks a very normal question, right? In fact, I think most of the kids here would probably ask the same question, right? Who's the, who is the smallest kid who can talk in here? Where's the smallest kid who can talk and, and is willing to? <laughs> None of the Swansons, they don't want to get up. AJ? Well, I don't want to embarrass my own son. Okay. All right, AJ. Let me ask you a question. Can you, can you get back in your mom's belly? Why not? This is not good. You don't know. Anybody shed some light on this for my son? Why not? Yes. He's too big, right? Now, there are some, you know, more recently born children that, you know, if we really worked hard enough, might be able to get them back in. But, you know, even AJ, AJ's sitting here. He's seven years old. He's too big, right? And, and Nicodemus asked the same question, did he not? What did he say? He says, how? <clears throat> Jesus says, you must be born again if you want to see in the kingdom of God. Verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is 
Old. All right, I'm not going to ask who the oldest person is here. All right, or even the second oldest. <laughs> All right, but Nicodemus was probably fairly old. You know, he was a very prominent teacher in the Jewish system. He'd been around for a while. You don't get to be very prominent without <laughs> putting a lot of time in. You know, and so he's he's old. He's reached a point in his life where, you know, he knows, hey, I'm gray. <laughs> I'm old. And, and he's looking at Jesus, and Jesus is saying, look, you have to be born again. And he goes, how can I be born again when I'm old? I mean, it's one thing, you know, to maybe some weird instance where a baby is somehow out and back in. I don't know. But, <laughs> but for a, an adult, a, a man... To be born again, it, it doesn't make sense. There's no physical way that that can happen. And again, what is he, what is he focused on? The flesh, right? He's focused on earthly understanding. He's hearing what Jesus is saying, but he's not getting it, right? He's, he's, he's got this improper focus. And, he, and Jesus says to him, uh, verse 5, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say unto you, unless one is born of water... And the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So Jesus tries to clear it up a little bit here. He talks about water and the Spirit, water being the natural birth, the Spirit being spiritual birth. And he kind of clarifies that a little bit more in verse seven. And he, or verse 6. He says, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Verse 7, he says, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Jesus is saying, look, Nicodemus, you're not thinking right. Okay? You're thinking, you're focused on the wrong thing. Okay? You're focused on the earth, the physical things that you can see, that you can touch, that you can feel. You're focusing on an earthly kingdom that's coming. You're focusing on an earthly king and your Messiah. You're focusing on how can I please God, even as a Pharisee. If you look at the Pharisees, we won't spend a lot of time this morning to talk about it. Pharisees were very, very good about keeping the law. In fact, they were so good at keeping the law, they made extra laws to make sure that they kept the law even better. And uh, so they were very good at, at making themselves stick within a religious system. And everything that they did was of earthly value. It was earthly focused. It was how do we make ourselves obey these laws? They didn't get the spiritual nature of the relationship with God. They were focused on the physical. He had an improper focus. Now, because he had an improper focus, Jesus is trying to help him change his focus. But because he had an improper focus, he had an incomplete understanding. See, as they spent their time and their days trying to keep these physical laws, trying to make sure that they were obeying all of these commandments that God had given them. And we know <laughs> the New Testament tells us that, that the law was not given to save man, right? The law was given to show man that he is a sinner. It says, Scripture says it's our schoolmaster to bring us where? To Christ. God gave the law not for us to be able to uphold it. God gave the law to show us that we couldn't. And so here these men were who dedicated their lives. 
Nicodemus had dedicated his life to fulfilling these laws. Now, was it wrong for him to obey the law of God? No. But he didn't get it. He didn't understand. He didn't understand that the law was supposed to lead him to a saving knowledge of Christ. Instead, he was focused on the earthly aspect of it. Verse 9, Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? He says, I I don't get it. I don't understand. Explain this to me. Here was a man. (laughs) Jesus says it right here in verse 10. Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? How many of you have been in church over 20 years? Raise your hand. Been in church over 20 years. All right. Do you know everything there is to know <laughs> about the Bible? <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, but yet I think most of you probably understand what Nicodemus didn't, right? Because you're here after Christ. You're here because you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You're here after his finished work on the cross. But Nicodemus wasn't able to see that before Christ did it. He wasn't able to understand that Christ came to save from sin, not save from Rome. He didn't get it. He didn't understand. He was looking for this physical Messiah. He was looking for this man who was going to set up God's kingdom on earth. And he's talking to Jesus, who many are saying is the Messiah. And he's coming and he's talking to him. He's trying to find out more about Jesus. And Jesus is telling him about all these spiritual things that he doesn't get because he's been trying to please God by fulfilling the law. He doesn't understand. What is this? What is this being born again? You know, what is this spiritual thing that you're talking about? I've, I've been working at the law. I've been trying to keep the law. I've been trying to obey the law. I've been teaching the law. He's been standing up before the people and teaching and preaching the law. And yet, even a man with that much understanding and knowledge of God's law missed the point. He didn't get it. He didn't see that God wasn't interested in them keeping commandments. He was interested in them having a restored relationship with Him. And that obeying the law and fulfilling the sacrifices were temporary ways for them to make sure that that relationship with Him was not broken. And instead of having a relationship, they had a ritual. They had a religion. And they were good at it. And they did it well. And here he is, a man who is good at it. He's teaching it. He's preaching it. He's telling others how to do it. And he doesn't understand it. And Jesus says, how are you, a teacher of Israel, not able to understand these things? Truly, truly, verse 11, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness of what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Who's he talking about here? Anybody know? He says we. Is he just using like the authoritative we? No, he's talking about John the Baptist. Remember? Who was teaching and preaching before? John the Baptist. And in fact, if you look later on in the passage, it's going to talk about John the Baptist again. Right? So Jesus is referencing John the Baptist and he's saying, we've been teaching and preaching these things to you. And we've been teaching them, and you, what? Did not believe, right? You did not believe. He says, we have been teaching and preaching plain. We speak of what we know, and we bear witness to what we have seen. They were giving testimony. We talked 
uh, was it last week in Sunday school? We talked about progression of faith, right? And we see how in the disciples' lives, they heard about Christ through the testimony of someone. First of all, John the Baptist. And as they heard about Christ through the testimony of another person, they then came and met Christ. And as they interacted with Christ and saw who he was, they then went out and told others, right? And so we have this testimony that Christ has been giving, that John has been giving, that they are supposed to repent, that they are supposed to turn back into to following after God, that the Messiah was here. And he says, and you did not believe. Verse 12 says, if, you, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? He says, look, Nicodemus, your focus is wrong because you're focusing on this earthly kingdom. You're focusing on fulfilling these earthly laws. You're focusing on the flesh. And he says, and you don't understand why? Because you won't believe what we've said. He said, you can't understand the heavenly spiritual things that I'm teaching because you won't even believe my testimony. You won't even believe John's testimony of the physical things. When John pointed out, this is the Christ because this is what I saw. He says, you won't even believe that. Is it any wonder why your understanding is incomplete when you're not willing to believe the testimony that we've given you? And he begins here to change the focus of the conversation. See, up until this point, he's been showing Nicodemus that you don't have the right focus, you don't have enough understanding, and, and, and he's just been kind of pointing out his failure, right? He's been pointing out the problems that Nicodemus has, the reason why Nicodemus can't quite come to grips with who Jesus claimed to be. And he's been pointing out these, these failures, and now he switches gears a little bit. And instead of pointing out the, fa- the failures and the focus and the failure and the inability to understand, he begins to turn the focus where? On himself. Okay? He says, how can we, how can you understand heavenly things if you do not receive our testimony? Verse 12, or I'm sorry, verse 13. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Who's that? Who? Jesus, right? All right? Make sure we understand what he's saying. No one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. He makes a reference back to uh, Numbers 21, if I remember correctly where Moses and the Israelites are in the desert. They've sinned. God has sent the fiery serpents, the venomous snakes, into the camp. People are being bitten. People are dying because of their sin, because of their unwillingness to obey God. And, and Moses says, God, we need, we need, to, we need an end. <laughs> and God tells him to take and form a serpent and put it on a pole, right, out of metal, brass, if I remember correctly. And, uh, and he says, lift it up. And anybody who looks at that serpent on the pole, what will happen? They'll be healed, right? I, I could not have done that because I, mm, snakes, not good for me. Um, I just can't do it. All right, I'm a wimp. I can't handle snakes. But Moses was able to do it, he, he, whether he did it or whether somebody else did it, I don't know. But they formed this, this uh, picture of the snake on the pole, which is still used today. Where? 
What? In medicine, right? <clears throat> Bob, you're supposed to come up with that one. <laughs> it's still used today as a symbol of healing, right? And that's where it comes from. And Jesus is saying, just like Moses lifted up that serpent in the wilderness, so that the Israelites who looked on it, believing that it would, that they would be healed, would be healed. He said, just like that, the Son of Man, the one who has descended from heaven, he's trying to open up the, the eyes and the mind of Nicodemus here, the Son of Man who has descended from heaven, so must he be lifted up. Why? What? So you can be healed, right? That's not the exact words that he used, but that's what he's saying. Right? So that they, whoever believes in him might not just have life like they did in the desert, but whoever believes in them might have eternal life. Jesus begins to turn the focus away from the earthly things that Nicodemus doesn't understand, and he reveals himself. He begins to take this inability, this incomplete understanding that that Nicodemus has, and he starts using things that he does understand. He starts using the scripture that he knows, and he starts revealing who he is and why he is there. See, I think that's important. It was not just enough for Jesus to, to explain to him, look, I'm the Messiah, man. Get with the program. Okay? That's not what he was doing. He was helping him understand not just that he was the Messiah, but why he came. And it wasn't just to set up an earthly kingdom. But rather, it was so that people who believed on him would have eternal. And he begins to take Nicodemus' incomplete understanding and open up his mind to who he is. So we have an improper focus and an incomplete understanding, but we have an incomparable love. He gives this illustration of Moses lifting up the serpent, and he says, so must the Son of Man be lifted up so that whoever believes on him shall have eternal life. And then he reveals to Nicodemus a more clear and full understanding of the God that he claims to serve. Because again, what is Nicodemus' focus? He may may know that God is a God of love, but really when it comes down to his daily life and practice, God is a God of judgment, God is a God of order. God is a God of requirements, of law, right? That's his, that's his experience of God. And Jesus says, I, wanna, I want you to understand, I am here not to set up an earthly kingdom. I am here so that those who believe in me will have eternal life. Why? Because God so loved, think about who he's talking to. He's talking to a man who we know should know this, but he's clarifying God's intention. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Again, getting more clear on who he is. Son of man came from heaven, gave his only son, son of God, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus begins to reveal to Nicodemus the purpose for his existence, for his earthly existence, the reason why he came. He begins to reveal to him that he is not there for an earthly kingdom. He is there to create or to to draw men into a spiritual kingdom. 
He is there to free men from the bondage of sin and death and hell and to give them life eternal. That's why he came, because God loved, God loved the world so much that he gave his only son. And it's interesting, verse 17, you know, verse 16 gets all the, all the use, right? But verse 17, I think, plays really well with it. If you, if you read it, he says that in verse 16, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Think about that. God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world. Now, if you've read Revelation, you know he will. There is coming a day where Christ is going to condemn the world. He's going to say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. He's going to separate the sheep from the goats. But now was not that time. God sent his son, Jesus, into the world at this specific point in time because of his incomparable love. He loved the world so much that he knew now was not the time for judgment. It was the time for rescue. Jesus did not come and walk on this earth for three, well, 33 and a half years. He did not minister for three and a half years merely for the purpose of telling everyone that they were wrong. He preached some pretty strong things, right? He preached some woes. <laughs> he gave it to the Pharisees on a number of occasions. Jesus didn't mince words, but he wasn't doing that to condemn them. He was doing that to open their eyes, to show them that he is the Son of God who came to die for them. That, in fact, God did love them so much that he sent Christ to come and die on a cross to bear their anger and their rage and their hate and their misunderstanding of who he was. He came to take all of that because he, because he didn't come to condemn the world, but that the world through him would believe. God loves the world. And you know, it's easy for us, I think, who, especially who have been a Christian for a long time, who've maybe grown up in a Christian home, a Christian church, um, it's easy for us to lose that focus, is it not? to lose that understanding that God really does love the world. It's easy to look at the world and, and see the hate and the sin and, and everything that goes on, and even the way that they treat us. And it's easy to look at them and say, well, you know what? Fine. Be that way. <laughs> you know what? Maybe I'm not going to share Christ with you because you don't deserve it. And we would never express that out loud, but we do that with our actions. We do that with our inaction. We can easily see, even just in the events that have come up recently, that we live in a wicked, sinful world. And I think we need to be reminded sometimes that Jesus came not to condemn the world. Because we like to condemn the world. We like to look at them and forget as Paul said in Ephesians, such were some of you. We like to forget that part of our life. And we like to look at people and say, you know what? Those people, they can, you know, good riddance. And Jesus is telling Nicodemus, I love the world. God loves the world so much that I came 
that if they believe in me, they'll have everlasting life. In fact, I came not to condemn them, but to give them eternal life. And yet how often do we respond in exactly the different, the exact opposite way? How quick are we to condemn those around us? Maybe not verbally, but in our mind. How quick are we to write them off? When Christ said, I am not come to condemn the world, I've come to save it. How can we not be like Christ? How can we withhold Christ from those who so desperately need him? He did not come to condemn the world, but he came in love to give his life as a payment for their sin so that those who would believe on him would be saved, would have eternal you ever think about that? That's what you're withholding. When we don't share the gospel, when we stay silent, when we get um, angry at the world and we decide that we're just going to keep our mouths shut, do you realize you're keeping from them eternal life? You are literally saying, you deserve hell. That's what we're doing. And Jesus said, I did not come to condemn. I came to save. May that be a lesson to us as well. His incomparable love. Lastly, though, we do see an impending condemnation. An impending condemnation. Jesus said, right now, I've not come to condemn the world. I've come so that those who believe in me would understand who I am and that they would have eternal life. But what is that followed up with? Verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Why? Because he just said it, right? He just said, I have come so that those who believe in me will have eternal life. Right? So he says, if you believe in me, you will not be condemned. But, he says, uh, whoever believes in me is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Jesus says, look, I have come to be the salvation of the world. And the truth is that the world is already condemned. As his sinners, as human beings, as people who have fallen, we are already condemned. We are already on our way to an eternal judgment. He says, if you don't believe, you're already condemned. Why? Because you've not believed on the name. It's very interesting. Even here in John chapter 3, Jesus is making very clear that there's one way. Did you ever notice that? He says, what is he saying? He's saying, if you don't believe, you're already condemned. And how does he say you get uncondemned? Believe. Where? On what? On the Son of God. There's only one way. Yeah, he'll be even more specific in John chapter 14 when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. But even here as he's talking having this conversation with Nicodemus, he says, look, if you believe in me, you won't be condemned. But if you don't believe in me, you're already condemned. I don't care how many laws you have kept. I don't care how long you've been a Pharisee. I don't care how well you've taught the people of Israel how to obey God's commands. You're already condemned because you've broken God's law. And the only way to escape condemnation is by believing in me. It's not about keeping a law. It's not about doing good works. It's not about even coming into this church service this morning. 
The only way to avoid condemnation is by believing in the person and work of Jesus. This is a very important conversation that Jesus is having. He says, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light. I'm sorry, verse 19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works are evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Why don't people believe in Jesus? According to Jesus, because they don't want to be exposed. See, if we are willing to admit that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, if we are willing to admit that Jesus came to earth and died on the cross for our sins, that means we have to admit that we have sins. That means that we have to admit that there is a God. That means that we have to admit that I am responsible to that God. That means that I have to admit that maybe I'm not as good as I think I am. He says, those who do not come to the light don't come to the light because they don't want to be exposed. And the truth is they know that their works are evil. We know inherently as human beings, because God has given us a conscience, we know when we've done things that are wrong. We may put a label on it like immoral or, you know, outside the norm or unacceptable to society, you know, whatever we want to call it, illegal. But we know in our hearts that we do wrong. And it is only by the person and work of Jesus Christ that we can be. It is only through Christ's death on the cross, his shed blood, and his resurrection that we can escape condemnation. And the reason we don't is because we don't want to be exposed. But if we're willing to allow ourselves to be exposed, to willing to, to come to the cross and say, Lord, I understand that I am a sinner. I understand I've done things that are wrong. No, I, maybe I haven't killed anybody. Maybe I haven't embezzled. Maybe I haven't stolen anything. Maybe it's just been a lifestyle of lying or a lifestyle of cheating or a lifestyle of just petty things. But I understand that all of that is sin. And until we're willing to, to say to God, yes, I have sinned and allow ourselves to be exposed, we will not truly come to the light. There may be people here, even this morning, who like Nicodemus have been in church for years. Maybe even heavily involved in church. Maybe you've even taught in church. But you never really come to a point where you've allowed yourself to be exposed to God, understanding I am a sinner. I deserve hell. I deserve the condemnation that's coming. And I believe in what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. I believe that he rose again in victory over death and sin and hell on the third day. And I believe that he now stands on the right hand of the Father, making intercession for me. I believe that. Jesus said, I have come not to condemn because you're already condemned. But I've come so that you'll believe. And that by believing, you can have eternal life. Why is this conversation so important? Because here we really see the first instance of Christ 
clearly explaining why he came, clearly showing how we escape the coming judgment. Because there is an impending condemnation. We have all fallen. We are all under condemnation until we come to Christ. This, um, this fall, we have an opportunity as a church to do better. We have an opportunity as a church to reach out to a community of people who are condemned already. We have an opportunity to share the gospel. The question is, will we? Um, September 10th is the first uh, night of Awana. And uh, last year, we, we kind of did things very internal. Um, this year, however, we, we want to change things a little bit. Obviously, we have to rely on the Lord to, um, to produce fruit. We have to rely on the Lord to, to bring people in. But this year, um, we're going to do something different with Awana. In fact, with Sunday evening as a whole, as we've been praying and discussing how do we, uh, through this transition that we've been going through, how do we handle Sunday evening? Um, I don't know if you've ever been here on a Sunday evening uh, and, and not part of Awana. Uh, we have a pretty sparse crowd because, <laughs> quite frankly, Awana uses a lot of workers. <laughs> um, and as we've evaluated, is Awana a good thing? Is it something that we want to keep doing? As, as we've said, you know, we're trying to look at everything through the lens of Scripture. You know, is it biblical and is it best? And so we've decided that at least for this year, we are going to continue with the Awana program. Um, but we want it to be more. And as we come to Sunday night, um, our goal for Sunday night is for it to become a night where we are engaged in serving the community, where we are engaged in evangelistic opportunity. Now, we're a small church. Um, in fact, the, the visitors, I think, just doubled our sight. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> we're a small church. Let's be honest. All right? Um, we're not going to sugarcoat it. We don't have tons of people. And even for Iwana, we're, we're missing a couple teachers that we don't have, that we had before. So we're shorthanded. And in the future, we hope that our Sunday night service nights, community service nights, become more than just Iwana. We'd love to see other opportunities pop up. People become burdened for other things, other ways to evangelize the community. And we look forward to that. But right now, we're not there. (laughs) So our goal for Sunday night is for the church as a whole to embrace the opportunity to evangelize our local community through the Iwana program. Now, does that mean we need everyone in here to be a teacher? You don't have to come teach. But we would ask that everyone participate. I understand some of you may sit here and think, man, you know, dealing with little kids is not really my thing. You know, I don't really, I don't interact that well. You know, whatever the excuse might be, I, I, I can just tell you there's a place for you. Um, it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how much you know. Um, we can use you. Whether it's teaching a class, or whether it's helping out in the game time, or whether it's helping with the registration and record keeping, or whether it's simply listening 
to a child, that's the most important one. And that's something everyone in this room can do. Every single person in here can sit down in a chair. Not even have to have it memorized. You get to read it. And listen to these kids share what God is hiding in their heart. It's not that hard. So, am I going to think bad of you if you don't join? Of course I am. That's just human nature. But we're not going to kick you out of the church if you don't. But I do ask that you get involved. There's two things that we're going to have coming up uh, next week in the evening, uh, because the week after that we have life groups. Next week in the evening we are going to have a one training program here at the church. Okay, so at 5.30, our normal meeting time, we're going to start our one training. Okay, should go... Just the normal time. We're going to start off with basic introduction for those who have no clue what's going on. <laughs> we're going to we're going to make sure that we have everything covered. Um, if you're interested in being a part of a specific part of the Iwana ministry, let us know. But we're going to come in here at 5:30 next week, and we're going to go through our philosophy of Iwana. We're going to go through how we implement it. And we're going to make sure that we have everything covered. Everybody's in, a, in the right group. We'll have a time to break up so that the Awana uh, group leaders will have some time with those who are working with them to be able to cover anything that they may uh, need to cover. And then we're going to move on. That's announcement number one. Announcement number two, September 3rd. Instead of having life groups at our life group locations, we're going to meet here on Sunday night at 530 and we're going to go canvassing the area. This is not just an activity. It is our prayer and it is our goal that our Awana program is not just our kids. It is our goal that our Awana program becomes a way for us to interact with the community around us so that we can bring in children and with them bring in their parents so that we can teach them the Word of God and that through the teaching of the Word of God, they'll be saved. That's how truth growth happens in the church, through salvation and discipleship. And that's what we want to see happen through our Awana program. So next week at 5.30, I expect every person here to be there. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh, seriously, please get involved. Uh, I know we don't have everybody here, but we have a good chunk, if not the majority of people who are here, um, who are part of the church are here. So we will make these announcements on Facebook. Uh, email, all that fun stuff. But Friday, or next Sunday night, I want a training. Sunday night after that, September 3rd, is going to be our want a canvassing. And then September 10th, we begin a want for this year. And I really ask that you join with us as we seek to make this not just a want but as we seek to take this tool that we have and use it as a way to evangelize the community. Because honestly, if that's not the goal, then there's not a whole lot other than some internal help for our own kids, which we should be doing on our own. So, that's the plan. Why do I bring that up? (laughs) Because of John chapter 3. Because of the most well-known verse in the Bible. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's time for us to stop holding it inside. 
It's time for us to stop condemning the world that is already condemned. And it's time for us to be like Christ and say, let me tell you of the one who can save you. And a one is just one way of doing that. I hope you'll join with us in the weeks ahead as we seek to reach this community for Christ, not so that we can lift up our name as Liberty Hills Bible Church and say, look at the cool things that we've done, because it's not us. And if that's our focus, then we might as well shut down right now. But our goal is for Christ to be glorified. Our goal is just like that serpent being lifted up in the wilderness. Our goal is that Christ and this church will be lifted up so that when people come here, they will see Him and believe. Father, we thank You that You did love us so much even while we were sinners, even while we were Your enemies, even while we were in disbelief, even while we didn't understand. You came. And You came to seek and to save that which was lost. Not to condemn us because we are already condemned, Lord, but You came to provide hope. Father, I pray that we would not be content with, with merely being saved. But I pray that we would now seek to share with others the good news of Jesus Christ. Whether that's through the Awana program, whether that's through our individual efforts and relationships that you've allowed us to build, whether that's through other ministry that you allow us to uh, be a part of as a church. Lord, I pray that that would be our focus. I pray that we would not lose sight of why you came, that we would not be like the Pharisees, merely caught up in trying to keep up with traditions, merely caught up with trying to fulfill human laws, but that we would seek you, that we would follow you, that we would know you, and in doing so, that we would share you with a lost and dying world. We thank you for this conversation that you had with Nicodemus all those years ago, a time that was quiet in a way with a man who, who didn't, but you revealed to him who you were and why you came. Let that be an example for us as we interact with those in the community around us. We pray that you would be glorified by our efforts and we pray that there would be fruit and fruit that remains. In Christ's name we pray, amen.